begin. Uh, let us just uh, pray. Uh, if you have questions and, um, and, and certain things that you want to uh, communicate to us, you can just type them. My wife will take care of that. But before we begin, let us just pray. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, now we come to you in the authority of the name that has been given to us, the name of your son, Jesus. We come boldly tonight because you have given us a mandate to minister your word, uh, particularly in our nation, South Africa, to be the voice that echoes that which is in your heart in heaven. And so, Father, even as we minister tonight, thank you for the grace and the anointing. Thank you for the heart to receive. Thank you for an eye that sees beyond that which the natural will have us see. And thank you for an ear that is able to hear the voice of heaven in Jesus' name. So, Father, I plead the blood of Christ upon this, uh, this online service tonight. And the Holy Spirit of God is allowed... You are in charge. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for enlightenment. Thank you for light. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Barcelona, we are, we are discussing uh, heritage. We, of course, know that heritage is, is that which is handed down to us from generation to generation. Koskazi uh, on, on Sunday, for those of you who were with us, would have uh, been privileged to uh, listen the message that she preached on heritage. Umemji uh, on Sunday spoke uh, of three areas from which we inherit stuff. Uh, she spoke of uh, physically the fact that we inherit uh, DNA, uh, genetic makeup, our features, uh, the nose, the size of uh, the ear and everything that to do with our, our physiology and our physical makeup. So we inherit that uh, physically. And then she spoke of our soulish inheritance, the things that we inherit in the realm of the soul from the soul, which is more personality related, could be anger, it could be phobias and uh, certain weaknesses and competences. Uh, that is that that is received from us, and we inherit those uh, in the realm of the soul. And also, also spoke, spoke of uh, uh, things we inherit spiritually. Uh, now, there there are two things there, because I can inherit from a redeemed bloodline, and there I can uh, inherit a generational blessing. But I can also uh, inherit from an unredeemed bloodline which would then be uh, generational cases, things like witchcraft that move from generation to generation. And the Bible says those must be broken. But I want to introduce, as, as part of my introduction here, a uh, fourth dimension, which is uh, the things we inherit socially, uh, which is our habits and, and, and customs uh, and, and traditions, that, that those that are passed down to us from generation to generation. Now, in, in the book... Repentance. I don't know how many of you have been uh, privileged to uh, read that particular book. Uh, in the book, Repentance, uh, Cleansing Your Generational Bloodline, Restoring your first, uh, the First Estate, uh, Apostle Natasha Gibrich says, and I quote, If you can inherit physical property, for instance, money in the bank, through many generations, or you inherit a certain culture, the Greek culture or Kosa culture, then what else are you inheriting? That's a question she, she's posing. Uh, she continues to say, 
Jesus says that you can inherit certain spirits uh, that have been with your line for a few generations that will only come out through prayer and fasting. So, unquote. And so as God's people, we, we therefore need to conduct what I call a spiritual audit, spiritual audit uh, or a culture audit. Uh, so this is what this teaching seeks to do. We, we need to begin to understand the things that we have accepted as part of our culture, but they were not uh, preordained by heaven. Uh, it requires this, this, this audit, this spiritual audit that we conduct. It requires that we discuss certain uh, topics and establish, you and I, we must establish where we are at. We must then begin to understand all these things so that we can make a decision going forward. If we are to be effective as God's people in the earth, sons and daughters in the earth realm, and have the authority to bind and to loose and to administrate on behalf of heaven, there are decisions that we need to make as God's people. Remembering that he does not look at us anymore as, as black or white, Greek, Jew, male or female, Zulu, Kosa, but as kingdom people with a kingdom culture. And so this becomes important. So tonight we are going to be looking at, uh, there are seven things we would have to look at uh, in totality, but I don't think we will be able to cover much ground tonight. But there are seven things. One, uh, it's European colonists and their legacy on the continent of Africa. Number two, it's culture and related misconceptions with regards to culture. Number three, it's our ancestors and ancestral worship. And we would also need to discuss Abadala uh, and Oamadlozi, for instance. And number five, African indigenous knowledge how that impacts us, uh, the things which we haven't been discussing is the body of Christ. Uh, number six, our roots. What, what, what does that mean, our roots? We're we going back to our roots. How far does the root go? Uh, number seven, and our kingdom identity. Now, as I begin to discuss these things, we will find out that some of them kind of, they, they interconnected, they interwoven. And so I might be overlapping to other topics as I'm trying to discuss one topic. That's the nature of it. But I'm going to try tonight uh, to focus on the first three, uh, European colonists and their legacy. Number two, culture and related misconceptions. And number three, our ancestors and uh, ancestral worship. Now, if you look in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, even as we use this particular scripture as the basis for our teaching tonight as I lay foundation. Uh, the Apostle, Apostle John, uh, the Lord Jesus speaks to him, says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. You find that in the book of Revelation chapter 2. 
Now, family, uh, I'm, I'm going to be asking you to listen very carefully. And uh, if you're taking notes, you, you do so. The word doctrine in uh, generally in, in, in Christianity theology, to be specific, means something that is taught. Uh, doctrine is a, is a teaching or, or, or something that is taught. Now, a, a doctrine can, I, can, can be either good or bad. Uh, it can be good doctrine or can be a, a bad doctrine, like the, the, the Balak doctrine that is referenced here. But whether it is good or bad, the point of the matter is this. Doctrine influences human behavior. Uh, doctrine drives human thought. Uh, it informs our way of life. In actual fact, if I can just tell you, uh, probably uh, different cultures um, are a, 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 a collection, a different collection of doctrines that a group of people accept as resonating with their worldview. Let me repeat that. Uh, different cultures are collections, a collection of doctrines that a particular group of people accepts as resonating with their worldview. And uh, so one of the assignments of the apostles in the New Testament church uh, was to establish doctrine was to ensure that the, the people had sound doctrine because that particular doctrine would then be the disciples' way of life. Doctrine is, is, so, is, is, is our culture content. Uh, if we talk about uh, culture, it's because there is a doctrine that we are subscribing to. You cannot call it a philosophy or an ideology, if you will. So let us go to the first uh, subtopic for tonight, having uh, said all that. Number one, uh, it's, it's, it's colonists and their impact on the African continent. Now, this is, this is very important, uh, Bazalwan, because it, it determines what Africans have tended to accept or reject from the Bible. We, we must be able to understand the, the influence of, of, of colonists because some, uh, because of what they believe of, of, of colonialism and foreigners coming from Europe, they have tended to either accept or reject the word. So we cannot ignore such a, this is why we are addressing it tonight. So the purpose for this particular subtopic therefore is number one, uh, for you to know that as kingdom people, we are not ignorant. We are not ignorant of the damage that colonialism uh, caused in Africa. We're not ignorant of that fact. Number two, uh, to make it clear that to be Christian uh, is not necessarily to be pro-colonialism. Let me repeat that. To be Christian does not necessarily uh, mean that I am pro-colonialism. Uh, colonization uh, as you know it, as you, have, you, you, you understand the concept, uh, it's basically, it's Britain away from Britain. It's, 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 it's France away from, from France. So we, we quickly need then to differentiate between the two types of foreigners uh, who came here. This is very important, Barcelona. It's highly, highly important. You and I, as kingdom people, we need to differentiate between the two types of foreigners who came 
on our shores on the continent of Africa hundreds of years ago. Uh, number one, there's a type of, of foreigner that came that was called a colonizer. You, you and I, politically, we, we know that person as a colonizer. Now, these came from their nations to steal from Africa. They came from wherever they came from to steal uh, from Africa. So the colonizer, if you will, was a, a socio-economic farmer. They came here with a seed to plant in Africa. The seed was called Europe or France. They, they, they were going to plant that seed. And out of that seed, Europe would then begin to flourish and thrive and sprout out of Africa. So that's the first uh, foreigner we have to deal with. The second foreigner who came to our shores was a foreigner called an evangelist. Others call them missionaries or, or proselytes. Now, these came uh, when they responded to Matthew 28, 19 to 20. The Bible says, go ye therefore and uh, make disciples of all nations. Now, this particular foreigner uh, came here with, 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 they were supernatural farmers, if you will. They came, they also had a seed. They came with a seed to plant in Africa. Their seed was called God's way of doing things. So whatever they would plant, and then whatever fruit that they would emanate out of that would be God's way of doing things. God's way of doing things. Now, before I move on, Bazalwan, let me then uh, also uh, clarify this point. Even within evangelists, there were two uh, or missionaries or proselytes. There were two categories there. The first category were the charlatans, the frauds, the crooks. Those who were in partnership with their nations, they used religion to tame uh, tribal forces. They used religion so they could steal from Africa. They said we must look uh, up in the heavens while they're stealing the, 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 the land and they stole the flock. Now the church must acknowledge that. The church must accept the fact that not every missionary that came to Africa had good intentions. But there was a second type of a missionary. They were anointed people who risked their lives to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the African continent. So let's agree then, Bazalwani, let's agree here. Number one, that both the colonizer and the genuine God-sent missionary impacted Africa. Whether you like it or not, they impacted Africa, either positively or negatively. And number two, the colonizer brought European ways, uh, European systems or European uh, worldview, Eurocentric uh, ways of, of, of doing life in Africa. They restructured the African economy to benefit themselves. Let's, 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 let's agree and then so that you can move on. The third thing we must agree on is that they used religion to modify human behavior, uh, to promote, promote whiteness. If as a, a kingdom person I don't understand those things, then I, I won't be able to flow as, as an African Zulu man I will always be, there will always be something in my head of a question mark. 
with regards to these issues. So that must be very clear. So they, they came, uh, of the two categories, they came to promote whiteness. Uh, that was their agenda. They never had any intention of, of, of bringing souls to the Lord and disciple them and give them kingdom culture and raise them as saints and disciples who follow Jesus. So they used religion uh, to their own end. Number four, family, uh, as, as, as I wrap this introduction, uh, the missionary, on the other hand, the anointed one who had had a voice from heaven, brought a theocentric or, or God's ways of, 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 of doing life, a kingdom worldview, uh, a kingdom way of problem solving. They said, you shall not steal. They said, you shall not commit adultery. They said, you shall forgive because that is what we do as kingdom people. So whichever way, both of these impacted Africa and Africa would not remain the same. Wherever they went, whether it was an evangelist who was well-meaning or it was a charlatan, they would both leave an impact whichever continent they happened to interact with. Uh, so their participation, a true evangelist, true missionary sent from heaven, it, they were not Eurocentric. They didn't come here to plant a, a, a Eurocentric view or seed. It was, it was heaven-centric. So we must uh, understand that and remember, family, that Christianity, I want you to know this, arrived in Africa before colonialism. Let me repeat that. Uh, Christianity arrived in Africa before colonialism. So Christianity was not a, a, a Trojan horse. If you understand the concept of a Trojan horse, I, I, I would advise you to go look up the concept. It's an amazing concept. Uh, so Christianity was not a Trojan horse, uh, horse for Christianity. In other words, they used Christianity as a means to introduce colonialism. No, Christianity arrived in Africa way before uh, colonialists uh, would come. So this is important for us to check the motives of those who came uh, to the continent and whatever uh, transpired afterwards. We know from uh, history, church history, that as early as the first and second century uh, AD, they call it in the common era, Christianity was brought to Alexandria in Egypt uh, from Jerusalem by Mark, Apostle Mark, uh, in the early centuries. So uh, missionaries who were sent from God came here with a kingdom worldview to begin to introduce a, a kingdom way of doing things, which you, are, you and I call culture. There's a, a way of life, a kingdom way of life. Now from there, of course, you know that it went to Ethiopia and so on, Egypt, and it, we, we came down. So, yes, colonization was used for the most part to disadvantage the African. Let us agree on that one. Uh, colonization, to colonize, uh, was used for the most part to disadvantage uh, the African people. And yes, some missionaries were in fact disguised colonizers. That's a fact. 
some missionaries who came were disguised colonizers who used religion to colonize the people. Uh, however, uh, they were God-sent evangelists. They told Africa what they told every other continent they went to. They were not selective, uh, saying, repent, wherever they went, whether it was Africa or South America, wherever they went, the missionaries sent from heaven would say the following, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Amen. So the same gospel was preached in Europe, in Asia, in America, and elsewhere. So we understand that finally on this issue, family, colonialism and world evangelism, they were never siblings. Because I want us to understand that because when we think of, of Christianity, we're thinking of a, a technology, some, some social engineering that was used by white people. That's what, that's what Africans say, by white people to get onto our continent so that they could subdue us and begin to steal resources. Of course, that's a fact. As long as you're dealing with a human being, there will always be sinister motives attached. But I want us also to acknowledge that God did send apostles, he did send evangelist missionaries to go on every continent, not only on our continent, Wherever they would go, it would impact on whatever they found there. Because when a human being meets with heaven, something must give, something of them, something of my identity, something of my self-word, something of my worldview uh, must begin to change and be aligned with that which God wants to see uh, transpire in my life. So... I don't need to defend colonialism to make a case for Christianity. I don't, because as long as we do that, then we are giving, uh, 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 I mean, we, enabling the people who, 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 are, who are always saying that white people came here and Christianity is, is a white person's religion and all that. So I don't have to defend colonialism to make a case for Christianity. We need to call the spade a spade. So, they both affected Africa uh, for two different reasons, uh, colonialism and world evangelism. Those two impacted Africa. Those two impacted Africa in Jesus' name. A colonialist said, let go of who you are. That's what a colonialist said, the colonialist. Let go of who you are and become like me. Do what I say. It was a colonizer in Africa. But the evangelist said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So culture and misconceptions, uh, family, we need then to begin to address that. I hope you understand where I am coming from. 
Because from this day onwards, there are things that must be very clear to us so that when we move forward as kingdom people, we are sober-minded and we are aware of what we are dealing with. Now, let me address uh, culture and misconceptions uh, related to it. Number one, family, Christianity, I want you to know, does not despise African culture. It doesn't. Now, if you think culture is a homogenous term, all, maybe I'm going to get to that, but let me just make this point. And I want it to be a resounding uh, thought in your, in your head. Christianity does not look down upon African culture. What, what it does is uh, it acknowledges one thing, that life is spiritual. Now, I want you to flow with me from this point onwards. Christianity acknowledges whichever continent that gospel is preached, this one idea remains, that life is spiritual. It acknowledges that at any given point in time, humanity practices either God's normal or Satan's normal. Because life is spiritual at every given point, wherever you go, whatever tribe, whatever clan, that particular, particular clan, that particular tribe would be uh, exercising either God's norm, what is normal to God or what is normal, what the enemy considers as normal. So that is what the gospel, at the very heart of it, it acknowledges that fact. So when we approach the whole uh, topic of culture, we have that in mind. Christianity as well, a uh, family, acknowledges that all activity facilitates the landing of a kingdom. Mm. All activity, all, on whatever continent, in whatever culture, whatever tribe, all activity, why? Because life is spiritual. So all activity facilitates the landing of a kingdom. Kingdom landing in a marriage, kingdom landing in, a, in relationships, kingdom landing in our finances, and so forth. Now, let me just share with you a few thoughts on culture. All culture is man-made. All cultures. Cultures are man-made. Uh, that's the first point I want us to agree on tonight. All ethnic cultures are man-made. The second point, all cultures have their fair share of both good and evil. So this is why you cannot blindly say culture is evil because any given culture in, in any given location, locality, uh, terrain and territory, a culture, there will be semblance of good in the culture and there will be wickedness in the culture. That's just the nature of it. Because if culture is man-made, man is innately evil. So there will be elements of wickedness in the culture. Number three, culture is land. It's not inborn. It's not innate. In other words, there is no ultrasound that can detect that uh, uh, the, the, 
infant that the, 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 the child in the womb is a Zulu or is a Ndebele or it's a Kosa. They may probably detect the fact that the child would be dark-skinned, but in terms of culture, no one can tell you the culture of a child uh, in their mother's womb. Why? Because culture is postnatally acquired. So let's understand, culture is land. I gave an example last week that if I lived in Nigeria, for instance, from the time I was born, they took me to Nigeria. I would learn to be a perfect Nigerian because I would, having been born in this country, but I would be more Nigerian than I would be South African because I would speak their uh, indigenous uh, vernacular languages. I would, I would eat their food. I would dress the way that they dress. I would, I would do life the way that they would do life because culture is land. All right. That's going to help us going forward so that you don't find yourself fighting for dear life to hold on to things. Because if, the, if culture is land, then culture can be unland. That's why we're addressing that. Because when we get to certain issues, you need to understand that. Number four, family, culture has been Satan's, this term again comes back, it's been Satan's Trojan horse for thousands of years. In other words, uh, Satan has used culture. What has happened is this, which I addressed last week. Uh, the enemy being so smart and being so sly, wanting to ensure that demonic practices enjoy uh, longevity and they are handed down from generation to generation. There were practices that were planted in culture because the enemy knows that if that happens, uh, those practices, demonic practices, would enjoy at least two things. Number one, it's longevity. In other words, if, if, if it is my culture, then I'm going to ensure that I teach my son the same thing. And he will teach his son the same thing. So it's handed down. So it is, it is prolonged. There is, um, there is longevity uh, of that particular practice. Number two, he knew that uh, it would be defended. Imagine. An evil practice gains, it has privileges because I accept it as my culture, so I defend it. Why do I defend it? I defend it because if you ask me to not do this thing, you are attacking my very identity. Because if I accept that this practice is my culture, in other, I, I define myself uh, within that practice. So if you take it away, you are taking my meanness, so to speak, away. So he, know, he knew that. So there are things which have been planted in culture. Anytime a, 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 a tribe, a clan, begins to venture into the areas of blood, a, a blood sacrifice, and communicating with the spirit realm, you know that we have ventured off into a, a, another dimension. But we'll perhaps come back to that. So understand that, family. The enemy has always used culture as his Trojan horse. Uh, he has hidden things in culture. When we begin to uh, do these things, we then realize later on 
that they were not part of what we're supposed to do. For instance, I know that as, as Zulu people, there was a time when a woman who had given birth to twins, uh, she was supposed to uh, let one of them die. Uh, I mean, uh, that's given as an offering, but really, how would that be part of, 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 of God's idea and culture? It, it, it was demonic. So there were certain practices that were planted. We imported them from another realm and we made them part of, of our culture. All right. Number three, family, let us address. I'm just giving you headlines, so to speak, of these issues. Let's discuss the third um, subtopic, which is ancestors and ancestral worship. Now, this is where you and I are going to, because I'm going to mention things maybe most of you have not heard before. I have, um, I, I, I have this script that I've written in a book that addresses these things, which I, it hasn't gone out yet, but I address these things there. Now, family, these have not come to light for, 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 for many years. And as the body of Christ, we have, we have struggled to, to address these issues. So the third subtopic I'm addressing now tonight is uh, ancestors and ancestral worship. Ancestors and ancestral worship. Now, as we begin this particular one, the word ancestor, you should know that it is neither good nor bad. It's just a word. But because we grew up in religion, whenever you hear the word ancestor, something in your mind spells demonic. No. See, the word ancestor, it means those from whom we have descended. Ancestor, those from whom we have descended. Look it up. Uh, it's our forebears. It's our, it's our forefathers. Now, the Bible often uses the word fathers um, instead of ancestors. Uh, fathers are both Hebrew. Ancestors, uh, Rishonim, but, uh, which, which is called the first ones. So there are two key scriptures uh, to that effect, family, that talk to the word of God, understanding that ancestor, there's nothing evil about an ancestor. It's just a word. Now in Exodus 3, it says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers or ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. The God, the Lord God of your fathers the Lord God of your ancestors. And there's another one, last one I'm going to quote on this, Leviticus 26, there's two lines there, it says, but I will, for their sakes, remember the covenant of their ancestors. Now here it uses the word ancestors, or fathers or forebears, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God I am the Lord, he says. Family, now listen carefully, please. 
because we have tended, the reason why pan-Africanists and all the advocacy groups for African Renaissance and us going back to our roots uh, have tended to be very critical of a Christian is because we have not understood these things properly and we have misrepresented that which scriptures teach. First point, ancestors are not demons. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ancestors are not demons. It is impossible for an ancestor to transmute or transform or to mutate into a demon. In the verse we just read, the last one, Leviticus 26, uh, God was not saying, but for their sakes, remember the covenant of their demons. No, no, no. Covenant of their ancestors. Ancestors are not demons. It is impossible for a human being to change and to transform once they leave their physical bodies for them to transform into a demon. A demon is a separate entity. It is a separate spiritual species. It, they are not human. Demons are spirits that Jesus cast out of people in the New Testament. And he commands us to do the same. Uh, demons, they are referred to in the Bible as unclean spirits. They are evil spirits. They are wicked spirits. This is why in the gospel of Mark, it says with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Now, let me just spend some time here. Just a few moments here. We cannot call an ancestor, uh, somebody that you and I loved, who passed on a demon. Because according, remember that we are approaching this from a biblical point of view. According to the word of God, when a person leaves their body, they go to one of the two places. They either go to heaven according to the teachings of scripture or they go to a place called hell. When they get there, they don't get to do what they want. It's not their rules that prevail. It's the protocols and the rules of the system they have been made part of by virtue of them being out of the body. They are now disembodied spirits. So a person goes to heaven or they go to hell. When you are in heaven, I'm going to maybe touch this next week with regards to Amadlozi. Because when you are in heaven, there is no way that you can go the, get there and then you ask, today can I go and uh, inhabit my, my son or my grandson uh, because there is something I need to help them with. No. See, the thing is, you had your turn uh, whatever duration and lifespan uh, you were given on earth, within that lifespan, you were expected to make decisions and to live according to the will of God in Jesus' name. If that were to happen, you would be given a second chance. You would be given a second chance to make decisions yet through someone else's body. That in the spirit realm does not happen. And besides that, heaven is not where you get to do what you want. So when Jesus cast spirits out, he wasn't casting your, your, your great granddad out of people. Because if they had been sent from heaven, the Lord just would know. 
He was casting specific spirits, which I'm going to address here tonight, called demonic spirits, wicked spirits, have got nothing to do with your people. Now, if you go to hell, hell is even worse because hell is a prison. Hell is a prison, is a place of, 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 of punishment. I made a point last week that if people were to, uh, because by the way, not everybody who dies goes to heaven. That's another thing you must understand. People think that everybody who dies goes to heaven. Now, people who die uh, without having met Jesus, their Lord and Savior, they die and go to a place called hell. Hell still exists today. So if you are in hell, you don't get to say today because of the fire that is so hot today. Can I just get have some time out? I want to go inhabit the body of somebody. Uh, if that was an option in hell, I said last week, hell would be empty. If you were to be given a choice between being in Hades, being in hell, and coming here just indwelling a human body, which of the two would you choose? Common sense suggests that you would just come out of there and inhabit Ube Om Dala, Mzimbeni, Uotile, Wakini. In, uh, if that were to happen, then hell would be empty, and then there would be no purpose of hell at all. So, now, family, let us address the issue of ancestral worship. Now, this is where things begin to take a different turn because this, remember, I said I might mention things that uh, the church has been very tentative with uh, topics which has, have been refer, uh, referred to as taboo. And no go areas. Now, Kingdom Embassy House, I have a mandate and a grace from heaven to speak on these issues and to begin to teach on them so that the, 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 the bride of Christ can be prepared. Amen. Ancestral worship. Now, I must remind you again, I'm speaking from a biblical point of view. Everything I'm going to express here tonight, I'm expressing from a biblical point of view, not from some professor or some ideology or whatever it is. I'm speaking as a kingdom ambassador. I stand here uh, promoting the agenda of heaven and the mind of God as to what he wants us to do in the earth as his people. Now, because my worldview is informed by God's word, uh, there are things ahead of that I'm going to touch. Okay, let, let's just get, let's get to it, family. Number one, ancestral worship was originally, now I wanted to get ready here because I'm, I'm about to touch things which uh, many uh, ministers, my, my peers, my colleagues, uh, they don't want to discuss. Uh, ancestral worship was originally the worship of the Nephilim or the fallen angels. Now, from this point onwards, I'm going to try and build a case for this point. I'm going to try and layer upon layer, make you understand why uh, we're saying what we've just said. Let me repeat the statement. Ancestral worship was originally the worship of of the Nephilim and the fallen angels. There's a chapter in the book of Genesis called Genesis chapter 6. Uh, let me just read the first four verses there. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the ground, 
and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, beautiful, and they took them wives of all that they chose. And Jehovah said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for that he also is flesh. Yet shall his days be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim, in this particular translation, it says the Nephilim. The Nephilim, or giants, were in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same were the mighty men that were of old, the mighty men of renown. Amen. Now, family, let me just say this to you then as we begin to build this. The offspring, the offspring between the fallen angels and earthly women, that offspring was called the Nephilim. The Nephilim are the giants who were alive at the time. Now, because the Nephilim were, were hybrid beings, in other words, they were a crossbreed between uh, angels and, and the human race, they had great strength. Now, begin to under, just, just, just flow with me. These creatures had great strength. They, they knew secrets. They knew mysteries. And they enjoyed supernatural help because their fathers were angels. So they, they, they were privileges that ordinary uh, races of men could not enjoy uh, because they had fallen angels as their, they called them their fathers. Now, because they were half angel and half human, now listen to this now. Now, this speaks to the origin of what we call demons. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the, I'm addressing the topic ancestral worship. Because they were half angel and half human, when they died, their spirits remained in the earth. Let me repeat that. Because they were half angel and half man, when they died, their spirits remained in the earth. Now, they have been in the earth ever since as demonic or what they call also unclean or wicked spirits. Now, since they were once in a physical body here on earth as Nephilim, they seek human bodies to inhabit. Now, there's a book in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, quoted by Jude. Jude was an apostle. In Jude, uh, verses 14 to verse 15, he quotes a book, book of Enoch. Now, he is one apostle of the 12 apostles who quoted that book. Now, I'm going to explain a few things about that book just now because uh, it is important that we do so as we address uh, ancestral worship tonight. Jude 14 to 15, it says, It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds 
of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, family, Jude quotes the book of Enoch verbatim. Verbatim, in other words, word for, he quotes, he extracts a portion, an excerpt from that book. He puts it in the New Testament to make a point. So what Jude quotes here is found in the book of Enoch. Now the book of Enoch is, uh, is an, what, what they call an extra-biblical book. Uh, or, or it's a non-canonical book. It's not part of the, 20, of the 66 book uh, in the Bible. Uh, but was known by the apostles, hence he quotes it. Uh, he quotes it because it was regarded at the time as a book that, one, that had been written by Enoch. The same Enoch found in, the, uh, in Genesis who was taken by the Lord and was, uh, and was no more. It was so complex, this book, that the, the, the council, uh, the canonical council that decided which books made it into the canon of scriptures, 66, mm -hmm. this particular book was not put in the canon of scriptures. Now, in that book, Enoch writes the following of demons, the same book that Enoch quotes in the New Testament, Jude. that the Jude uh, quotes in the New Testament. Uh, he says, but now, now I'm quoting now from the book of Enoch, Enoch. But now the giants who are born from the union of the spirits and the flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth because their dwelling shall be upon the earth and inside the earth. Evil spirits have come out of their bodies because from the day that they were created from the sons of God, they became watchers. Their first origin is the spiritual foundation. They will become evil upon the earth and shall be called evil spirits. The dwelling of the spiritual beings of heaven is heaven. But the dwelling of the spirits of the earth, which are born upon the earth, is in the earth. So on what authority are we quoting uh, Enoch family? Well, because uh, Apostle uh, Jude cites him to explain a particular truth. We know that the Bible, the word of God, remains final authority in all matters that relate to us as kingdom people and, and the issues of redemption and that which the Lord Jesus wants us to do in the earth in the time he has given to us. But from time to time, uh, we will then go to the ancient books. We, we do refer to this ancient book as well where necessary. Uh, remember, we are still <laughs> addressing ancestral worship now Enoch continues to say this listen to me carefully family just just track with me Enoch writes just briefly says and the spirits of the giants do violence make desolate and attack and wrestle and cause illnesses corruption oppression sorrow and misery and they will eat nothing but abstain from food and are thirsty and smite. And these spirits will rise up against the sons of men and against the women, for they have come forth from them. Mm -hmm. Now listen, 
Listen, listen, family. Listen, listen, listen carefully. The children of the giants or the Nephilim refer to the fallen angels as their grandparents. Let me repeat that statement. The children of the giants or the children of the Nephilim refer to the fallen angels as their grandparents. So when they spoke of my grandfather, they spoke of a, an angel, a fallen angel. Now, the grandchildren of the Nephilim refer to the fallen angels as their great-grandparents. Let me repeat that. The grandchildren of the Nephilim referred to the fallen angels as their great-grandparents. Generations later, Bazalwan, fallen angels who are still in existence today in charge of territories and cities and the, the Apostle Paul quotes in Ephesians 6, generations later, fallen angels were eventually called our ancestors. Our ancestors. Remember the grandchildren of the Nephilim referred to the fallen angels as their grandparents? Generation la generations later, fallen angels were eventually called our ancestors. So when they made reference to my ancestors, they were making reference to a, 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 a God. They called them gods because of what they could do. So the descendants of the Nephilim took pride in the fact that they had come from mighty God-like beings. They took pride in that. So that became part of their identity. They, they, they enjoyed that, that they were tracked right back to God's. Amen. God-like beings. So they worshipped these spirits as gods. They worshipped them as gods. They invited them for protection. They invited them for support in war, for provision, for, for supply, and for, and for weather patterns to change in their favor. They called the fallen angels gods. So understand that the generations after this, they, they, they were mentored by demonic spirits. They were indwelt by demonic spirits. They mentored them and assisted them to stay in contact with these so-called gods. Now, follow with me, family. Now, gods of Egypt that you and I know were actually a physical representation of these gods. You know, they would, they would build them as statues. But they were a physical representation of these particular uh, fallen angels. There's a god called Hapi, uh, the god of the Nile. Now, when God was delivering his people, he judged this god, god of the Nile, uh, by turning the waters of the Nile into blood. He was judging a fallen angel who was called Hapi, the god of the Nile. There was a God, I'm not going to go through all of them, I'm just going to take about three of them. Uh, there was a God called Hecate, the goddess of fertility. If you uh, uh, sacrifice to this fallen angel, you were bound to have that which you wanted to have. Only that, uh, whatever that you gave birth to, belonged to them. But the goddess of fertility had a head of a frog. 
Remember that when God was judging these gods, uh, he caused frogs to come up from everywhere until frogs were anathema, they were guests. When before they had been revered because they represented a God and God caused frogs to fill up Egypt. Now let me just hasten family for the sake of time. Another God called Capri. I'm just going to stop with this God and then I'm going to carry on with other things. A God called Capri, the God of creation. He had the head of a fly. He was dealt with on the fourth plague. So when, etc., etc. So the point I am making, family, is that over time, even with Greek mythology, uh, you know, the, the mythological gods, they were fallen angels. In every culture, culture you would find that there were these mythological uh, beings that were worshipped. Now, there's Zeus, there's Hercules, there's Tartus, there's Cronus, there's Nike. These were gods. These were worshipped and sacrifices were made to them. Why? Because a generation at the time, they wanted to enjoy the privileges of that which that particular God could do for them. Even as we migrated from, from Egypt uh, southwards, and as we wanted to conquer and, 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 and get land and, and do whatever that we wanted to do to survive, we called upon, our forefathers called upon these gods. When they refer to ancestor, they were not referring to just a grandfather three generations ago. They were referring to their root. I'm coming to that. So these were worshipped and, and sacrifices were made to them. Later civilizations, family, uh, relegated these, these historical facts to myth. What I'm saying is not everything that's called a myth is myth. What most of the stuff that we know as myth was once fact, was once a reality. But as time went by, because people could not uh, make sense of these things, that how could a God become part of our life? So uh, generations later, they then felt, no, it's a myth. It, it never happened. So as we, as, we, as we draw to a conclusion, because next week I want to I wanna, I wanna address certain things. Amen. I can't hear and of course, we're gonna we're gonna address. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to uh, stop uh, so that we can have certain questions answered if there are any. But let me just carry on, family. Just 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 walk with me. The offspring. Just, just make note of this. The offspring of fallen angels and the Nephilim considered these fallen angels as their ancestors. They considered them as their ancestors. The second point I want you to note as we make sense of everything I've said, the Nephilim, uh, over time, they, their physical features became less and less pronounced as they, as they intermarried. Remember when God told the, the children of Israel not to intermarry? It wasn't because he was being prejudiced. God knew that nations had been infiltrated with Nephilim DNA. 
Now, there was an agenda concerning that, which we would address some other time, because they wanted to contaminate the messianic bloodline. They wanted to contaminate it by uh, the Nephilim DNA. So God tells them, you are not to intermarry, because if you do, you may get married to a woman who has a a Nephilim DNA in them. You remember also when God would tell them to go and slaughter uh, from, from, from infant up. You and I in the 20th, 21st century, we look at this as, and we're like, how could God be so cruel? How could a loving God be so heartless? No, family. What God was dealing with there was, was, was a breed. Where, 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 where people who had a Nephilim DNA, you're talking about infants that were as big as Gwenza, because they were giants. So when you, from now onwards, when you read those particular scriptures, and you're like, so much violence. What has a little kid to do? No, that was a, a giant in a, a, a baby body. But they, they were not 100% human. Amen. So understand those things. So what I'm saying is as they intermarried then family, uh, their physical features diminished. They were less pronounced. So their dominance and physical strength was also compromised. But the DNA was still in them and these spirits were still in them. It was these spirits that always reminded them of their roots. That you are from the great ones. You come from the great ones, the fallen ones who were mighty in the earth, the rulers of the earth. So, uh, oral tradition, we can talk about that. Oral tradition, they, 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 they began to relate all these stories to uh, future generations. They knew their ancestry. Because they were told of their great, uh, great, 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 great ancestors who lived once upon a time. They knew the history of their ancestry through oral tradition. They had been told, family, of, the, of these superhuman uh, ancestors who once ruled the earth. Now, who does not want to link up and hook up and connect with such power. Who does not want to bring that power into the present? If I can connect with such power, with such might, I will do whatever it takes. These fallen angels, uh, you will discover later that they are the ones who introduced into the earth realm um, wizardry, uh, magic. They introduced all the, all the, all the secrets that were not supposed to be revealed or known by the human race. They opened portals in the spirit realm and they gave advantage to those who had their DNA, to their descendants. Let me repeat the statement. Fallen angels, they still do today. They sponsor those who call out to them and who acknowledge them as gods. If you... Uh, they love blood. 
They love to see blood. So as long as you pay those taxes and you offer those sacrifices, they are then able to sponsor you with a degree of power to whatever uh, uh, extent that you, you your sacrifice dictate. Now, let me address this. We are, we are drawing to a close family because I don't want to bombard you with too, too, too many facts this evening. Their identity then, these uh, future generations, their identity therefore centered around this great history. They, they defined themselves on the basis of what oral tradition had given them. Uh, when they referred to family, when they referred to uh, uh, their roots, you know, I know today we also talk about Sibuela Aibuema Siswene, going back to our roots. Now, they, with regards to their roots, they went back hundreds of years into the past at the time. Now it's thousands. When they spoke of their roots, they didn't talk about four generations or five generations back. Their roots went back hundreds of years into the past to their half-men and half-god ancestors. That's how far back their root went because they wanted to access that power. Now, over time, not everybody knows uh, this today because because of the, of, the, of the deception of the enemy, we think that when we are uh, speaking to an ancestor, which we think it's our grandparent, which is not, we, we don't have an understanding that whatever bowl of blood I'm laying there, it's, it's handed down the line. Eventually, it lands in front of a fallen angel. So ancestral worship is basically the worship of fallen angels. Uh, the most recent ancestor is connected to the one before him and all the way back to the fallen angel. Now, let me also make this one point family. Just give me a few more minutes, then I, I, I conclude. So nations and tribes uh, and then clans always sought the aid of these ancient spirits in their generation. They always did that. Uh, like I, I've, I've mentioned before our migration, they always sought that. They, there was extra power that was sought because they knew that they had access to it as long as they could do certain things to be able to reach them. They did whatever they could do to reach them. Amen. For land security, for great produce, victory in battle, and so forth and so on. So when we say, you and I, let's discover our roots. Remember, let me repeat this point. Our roots, they go back generation and generation all the way back and it lands at the feet of a fallen angel. It's not your great-grandfather. But that you don't know. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done, family. Now, the Bible says they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, 
whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave birth to you. And it says in Deuteronomy 32, listen to this family. I want this to be part of your foundation going forward as we build. Deuteronomy 32, it says, what do I imply then? That food offered, no, no, this is a, this is, this is the Apostle Paul uh, talking here. He says, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything. Or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? Family, your ancestor is either in heaven or hell. Your ancestor is not a demon. Demons referred to here are fallen angels, are demonic spirits. It has got nothing to do with your departed ones whom you love and my departed ones. What demons do... They ensure that fallen angels have a legal right to operate in the earth. Hence, they need humanity to shed blood as much as possible as license for them to come and operate. What you and I call Abadala, they are really, really, really old. They are really old, but they are not who you think they are. <laughs> They are not who you think they are. They are thousands of years old and they are, they are fallen angels. This is why a Christian does not subscribe to ancestral worship because the history of ancestral worship goes way back to Genesis, Genesis 6 when the sons of God, the angels, had sexual union with women what came out of there was called the Nephilim. And from that point onwards, a new normal would be the order of the day in the earth. A new culture would begin to emerge. And they would teach the, their descendants pagan religions, which is worship of and sacrifices of things other than what God had intended for them. For tonight, family, let me perhaps stop here and allow for you to uh, ask questions, if there are questions to ask. But uh, as a parting shot, understand that when we speak of demons, we're not speaking about your, your great-granddad. We're speaking about an entity. Uh, it's a, they are disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. They are to be cast out from people. Because they are there to cause people to uh, move away from the will of God, their preordained will, uh, to operate outside the perimeters of God's divine purpose. That's what demons are there for. And as soon as the demon is cast out, a person is sober, they are able to do the will of God and to operate according to what God had foreordained for them. So your ancestors are not demons. 
but they are demons in the earth and they are still in operation today. Amen. Uh, so, Mamchi is helping me here with the technical issues. So, if there is a question for tonight before I pray, I want us to pray before I stop tonight. Uh, let uh, just lift up your hand, raise your hand, and uh, let me know that if uh, there is something that you need us addressed for tonight. Amen. Are there any hands, Mamchi? Kosi. There is a Kosi. You can unmute and ask. Amen. They can hear you, right? As yeah. well as they can hear me. Sanbonani Babji, thank you so much, Siabonga Baba, for your teaching this evening. Amen. Baba, I have a question. Ugoti, is the book of Enoch a distraction or reasonable reference that we should dig into in this context? Great question, uh, Kosi. Impendulo la Kosi will be on the basis of the fact that they remember I said we my uh, reason and rationale for citing such a book is because Apostle Jude makes reference to it. So as an extra biblical reference, because Bible as much as it is comprehensive, but it is not exhaustive. There is no way in the Bible where we get to understand the origin of demons, for instance. But Enoch was given a, a, a kind of an insight into that. So when it comes to certain things, we, we, we must, uh, we, we may, let me not say we must, we may uh, refer to such a book. But Kosi Sengedala, always remember this. We have been given 66 books. Uh, called the canon. That is our foundation. Everything that we do, we build from that. It's called the Holy Scriptures. And uh, we only use Enoch as a, a, a reference book, a procryphal book, uh, just to get, get, uh, get an understanding of certain things that is we does not illuminate or does not give us a, a kind of detail in. Uh, maybe I hope I'm answering your question. It's, it's not a destruction. It can be a destruction. Mm -hmm. uh, I, um, okay. the, the Apostle Jude would not have cited uh, a destruction. Mom, Jesus, even Jesus quotes... Mark, um, yeah, Mark 12. Uh, also, Jesus quotes... Uh, um, Mark 12, uh, Kosi. No, it's not. It's not All right, but okay, you, you, can, you can just um, uh, look that up um, some other time. But I want you to know that... Uh, ministers have tended to shy away from it because it is, um, it is one of those books that uh, it is very, you know, kind of complex. But what the Lord is doing, I believe, as we, as, as he's raising a last generation uh, church and a new breed of Christians, uh, we are going to begin to uh, look into that and see what the Holy Spirit wants us to glean from such a book for our own uh, kingdom uh, mandate, for us to be able to fulfill what God wants us to fulfill in the earth. Uh, amen. Thank you. No. Okay. Um, so I'm going to 
Uh, Any... Another question, what must we do with... Oh, what must we do with clan names? Another question is, what must we do with clan names? What must we do with clan names? Clan names. Clan names are praise names, right? Yeah, okay. This is the camera I'm supposed to be looking at. I know as African people, we, we, are, we are proud of who we are. But there's something about being a kingdom person. It, um, it, it kind of messes you up because Ukwabe was a person. Umguni was a person. Now, that person had a certain relationship with the, with the spirit realm, which I do not know. I know. You know, it feels, it feels, it feels something. But not this family. To, to answer your question, we have shied away from them. But watch this. Basically, you are putting umguni as a t-shirt, as a, as a mantle. With everything he wants. I don't know who he wants. I don't know what, what, what he did. Let me just say for argument's sake, Umguni uh, offered children. I'm not, uh, 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 for argument's sake, he offered children. And he was first born. Now, when you say Umguni, you are placing on me his mental, his, his anointing upon me. And you are causing me to walk in that. All right. So as much as perhaps now there are certain things we cannot easily undo. We live amongst our people uh, who are Mamchi. We will cover some of these things uh, perhaps later on. But as much as in your spirit, there must be a disconnection. As much as we want to and say, we can never do that because it's disrespectful. It's, it's, it's an African. Yeah. Uh, but understand, as a kingdom person, the repercussions and the spiritual impact of such things. Yeah. As much as uh, I would encourage you, family, not to be disrespectful, not to um, uh, kind of take them on when they do that, we can begin to build from our own family. And maybe next week I'm going to address what remains of my Zuluness then. Because then what remains of me as a Zulu person? It seems as if you're stripping me off of everything. Yeah. You know. But praise names. African people love them, but we are kingdom people. We have Another thing we must understand, Mazelwane, I'm not going to be long on this. As a kingdom person, you have a new, you have a culture. You are a race mm. with a culture. I am a Zulu for convenience sake. Now, that's, that's, that's going to kind of wreck some of you. 
I am a Zulu for convenience sake. I'm going to explain that next week. So I can find my way around the province and begin to do uh, what God wants me to do here. I don't know how long I have here. I am here in my capacity as a kingdom person who is here to promote kingdom culture. Not any other, every other culture. Mm-hmm. I have a, um, I have a courtship relationship with Ubzulu, but I have a covenant relationship with kingdom culture. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you understand that. I have a blood relationship, covenant relationship with my Jeez. covenant, yeah. with, my, with, my, with my heavenly identity and culture. Mm-hmm. But I, I am in a courtship relationship with my Zuluness. I still wear, I can wear a pesho. I you know we can we can do the externals of obzolo skolmizolo sisho inkondo do everything but once we venture that's the that's cutting with with the culture but once the culture becomes a gets into a covenant type culture mm. that's where the issue of of blood come in that's why the issue of, of, of worship come in. Once the spiritual gets into the, comes into the picture, you are, you are bordering on, on covenant with that culture. And as kingdom people, we are not called to that. Ours is kingdom culture. Yeah. I hope that uh, answers that question, family. Kunenye uh, umbuzula, what of the concept of Ubuntu? Umuntu, Gumuntu, Gabantu. Amen. The concept of Ubuntu, from where I sit, family, it is a, a, a beautiful concept. Yeah. Now, I understand this about EC, because not all culture is evil. I said it in the beginning. EC, it's not all wicked. Amazulunjani Sikri Kerabi, look, Pana. No, which Makelwane, Kunenjaba babies and Ayokdala, Umakukonosweleo, they would go and then as a community and go and begin to um, kind of reap their harvest and then go and, and, and support that person. Mm. Or in any culture, there are good um, positives of the culture. So, Lenda, you go to Umuntu, Umuntu Nabantu. That's amazing. That, that's beautiful. Uh, I am because you are. Amen. I, I don't live on an island. I don't live in isolation. Uh, I need to take into account the fact that I live in a community. Uh, there, there are people that I will always depend on. You compliment you, me, I yeah. compliment you. And uh, because of that, we are in the sense of family. Mm-hmm. And God is, is for that. That's, 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 that's beautiful. <laughs> Amen. Another question is on the issue of uh, the twin, that one being dead or being sacrificed, does it impact on their life? Um, how do I get out of it? Because, it, yeah. So, I wanted to ask on the issue of twins, one being sacrificed, maybe next we're going to come into these things of Abagangubane. Uh, and what all those things mean, Noktaba, and what that means in the spirit. Uh, because we, we have accepted those things as culture, but they were imported by the enemy. Mm. Uh, uh, <clears throat> so it says, 
I wanted to ask on the issue of twins, one being sacrificed, like in my case, one being dead, does that have a spiritual mm -hmm. impact on me? And if there is, how do I get out of it? Uh, I hope I understand the question. Yeah, yeah you, you do. But like, this is where the issue of repentance, repentance and, and uh, comes into, into question. Amen. Next week, family, let us begin with how to undo certain things that have uh, not be able to. Uh, become part of us. Amen. <laughs> so, but everything that has happened in the past, Bazalwane, we, we, we have to begin to engage in a serious uh, uh, process of repentance. Uh, so that we, we unplug yeah. and we disconnect from that which our forefathers uh, were part of mm -hmm. because if we do not do so these things tend to have impact on the present mm -hmm. amen mm -hmm. uh, there's also another question here uh, all these questions i am i'm just touching them briefly we will try next week to again just uh, uh, delve into these more 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 in depth another question uh, from tokozum who says I don't know if this would take us out of context, but I'm a bit confused about the book of Enoch and uh, something, I just cannot see that, it just kind of left me. Uh, oh, did I move something? Yes, uh, can you please bring this down? <laughs> I was busy reading there, Where it came it? out. Ah, it, it's up okay. here. Probably somebody typed. All right, uh, sorry about that. Let's, let's read this. Uh, I'm a bit confused about the book, thank you, of, of uh, Enoch. And something Ubaba mentioned about it not being a part of the selected 66 books that made it into the Bible. Does this mean there are more books to the Bible other than 66 books? Uh, we know that there are other books that were written that, were, that didn't make it into the canon of scriptures. one. I don't want you to be confused. If there's Last thing I want you to un to 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 you know to be part of is confusion. We are saying in what sixty six there was a council that sat together that decided the the books that were going to make it into what they called canon of scriptures. Now some books did not make it into the canon of scriptures. Now, there are different schools of thoughts with regards to why that was. And uh, answers to that, we don't know. But all we know is that we have in our hands 66 books. But we also know uh, that there are other books. The reason why I would not quote or speak from any other book is because I don't see those books being cited in the scriptures. But the book of Enoch, I, I think I must come reiterate what I said before. The reason why I am citing that particular book is because the Apostle Jude and some others, they, they reference it in the New Testament, which means it is not incorrect to then begin to pull from these extra biblical books if you want to make a point. But we use as foundation mm. the 66 books given to us. We build. If you want to build a case, 
and uh, you want to build the kingdom, you build the kingdom through the word of God. But you can always, if you want to clarify a point, like I clarified today the issue of where demons came from. Not the Nephilim. Nephilim is in Genesis 6. I, I referenced the book of Enoch to make you understand where uh, demons came from because the Bible does not cover that part. I might also in the future uh, reference the book of Enoch to uh, explain to you where witchcraft comes from and all these other in things that they came because the fallen angels, each fallen angel had a, a, a particular strength. So to explain those things, we, we, we need to uh, reference uh, the book of Enoch. But please don't, don't, don't be confused. Uh, Genesis up to Revelation, that is your basis. Even if you, you never had to read the book of Enoch, it's okay. Maybe let me put it that way. Maybe it's for us uh, ministers of the gospel. I don't know. Because I don't want anyone listening to me tonight to leave this session uh, confused. If you sense in your heart, um, because what I've always told people, first read the Bible before you even venture into the book of Enoch. All right, let's go to uh, Bob Webster. Uh, Webster. It says, is the spiritual impact for those who had cultural rituals performed on them? How do people withdraw from those agreements? And what does uh, that look like? Example, Ukugaba, Ukukota, Inyongo. Mom, do you want to address that? <laughs> okay, yes. okay, maybe I want to address that. Yeah. Let, let Mom G come and, 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 and address don't, don't this. Don't move, don't move. Amen. Um, I really think it's, it's part of the repentance that one can go, go into where I um, divorce myself from, from any ritual and anything that was done to me. As a child, I didn't have control over myself. My parents had a legal right over me. Now that I'm wiser and I have accepted the Lord as, as, as my Savior, the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I can then begin to divorce these altars that I was linked um, to and I was connected to where I can disconnect myself from that because that can impact my life. Unknowingly, those altars will always ask for rent. So I was just showing him the repentance book. It's, it's, it's quite a good book to go through in divorcing um mm. the the altars that that you could have been dedicated to as mm. a as a child um <laughs> as a family it's it's really cuts you can use it to cut off cut yourself off from all the altars and all the rituals that could be affecting because konabazalani truly speaking that are affected by these things by a caller they they were saved for 20 30 years but they are being affected by these things. Some are even having they've never slaughtered a goat, but these altars call for them. They demand of them. So it is important to call these things out. As, I mean, if you go through an exercise where you know what your family has done in terms of the rituals, say it. I am cutting myself loose from that. I will not be counted as party to these things. And you work through the process of divorcing yourself. 
Okay, so family, remember next week, Umam uh, will set for about 10 minutes talking about the, the disconnecting and all these other things that we need to do, which I can also address, but uh, I also want her to participate. Uh, let me just, there uh, about, um, how many minutes do we have, Mamichi? Uh, let's give it another 10 to address the... Let, let's give it another 10 minutes, family, then we, we stop. There's a, there's a question here. Bob Webster, we, we, we're going to revisit that, uh, sir, next week, uh, please. And uh, there's a question here from Kosi um, Zulu. Uh, Uti, next week, please, can we talk about Imikuba versus Amasiko? Uh, customs, traditions... Uh, Futi Ukusaba is a f- flirtation yeah, with, the with the spiritual and that which is phone uh, for just feasting. Ukelangenyongo, uh, a bride, Ukusaba imbozi at a funeral. Okay, we will address that. I'm going to look into this question uh, carefully and then unpack it so that I can answer it properly. Besiguchu Ayanda Boroto Uti Inkosi Unzombane asked the Ngubanes Ukunguma. But my understanding is that it was for practical reasons because his eyes had been gorged, um, yeah, had been gorged out by Shaka. He then asked Uguti any Ngubane child in Ume so he could identify them. It was a practical thing, save the king of, of, of the day, but we adopted it as culture. That's true, uh, Ayanda, it's very true. But I wanted to understand that wherever blood flows, yeah, wherever yeah. there is blood, mm. understand that because not all ideas are originally ours. Mm. Even Ushak or whatever, the demonic entities, they plant thoughts. Shedding of blood, sometimes it is, a, you know, there's a rationale behind it. They will say it's for this purpose. But as long as there's shedding of blood, you know that you are delving into a certain territory of the demonic. But uh, family, uh, let us address all these uh, issues and, yeah. and uh, next week because um, I see that there they, they are things here, yeah, based on what we have asked, mm. I will have to prepare something that speaks In to line, yeah. uh, these uh, questions here. Yeah, but I, all of them, they talk to about two things. One, uh, how do we disconnect from that which uh, we have come from? Because... Mm. Uh, we are part of the DNA. We have emerged from from from, from such. So how do we disconnect from that mm. so that it does not impact us in the present and in, in, in the future? And uh, number two, it is it is Improver. what is it is what we are dealing with even today. Yeah. Then how do we interact with those things? Uh, in the do do I give even? towards mm. Ukhaba and what, what impact does that have mm. on my finances? What altar am I giving to? I'm sorry, I look here. I'm supposed to be looking there because <laughs> my computer is here. <laughs> but what altar am I, am I sponsoring? So let us uh, 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 discuss all these things. Mshambu Mamuchi wants to cover one thing. Uh, let's just have five more minutes, family. Yeah. See if I can answer one question after after she has uh, addressed this issue. Mm. I will answer one question, then we'll close. I wanted to add on the issue of the shedding of blood in, in any sense. You know what God commanded the children of Israel? You know they couldn't even slaughter a... A, a, a sheep in front of their 
tent as a family. Everything that was slaughtered, every blood that would flow, had to make its way first to the, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and be blessed by a priest. Because wherever blood was shed outside of the perimeter of the tent of tabernacle, that blood was going somewhere else. So God put that, uh, 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 it's in Leviticus, and we, we'll share the scripture, where he says, don't even, you can't shed blood, you can't decide to slaughter a cow in front of your, of your tent as they were moving in, in, in these 40 or 80, 80 years. They had to present it first to God to make sure Uguti Lelikazi is not going anywhere else. So any form of shedding of blood had to be Clarified, Uguti. Amen. It's, it's, for, it's for us. We want to enjoy it as a family. And we won't shed blood. God takes blood seriously. So does the demonic uh, realm. Blood is important. So if it's not presented to God, it will go somewhere else, ultimately. So even if it's the cutting of the figure, where does that blood go? You know? And blood speaks of life, family. Mm. There's a lot of things we need to discuss because as, as part of sacrifice, their seed, they are men's seed yeah. on the ground. Mm. What is that? It's, it's giving the future, DNA, the DNA yeah. into the ancestors to say that I'm handing over the future generation to you. Mm. So Bazalwan, there's a lot of stuff to unlearn and to undo, but for that to happen, I must... Allow the Holy Spirit. I must first sing I must first accept the fact that Evangelii, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has a has 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 final authority in my life. I am no longer my own. I must define myself on the basis of scripture. I must find my identity in the word. Once I allow that to happen. Once I lay down on the altar, my even my Zuluness, I, I handed over to say, Father, you created me, you brought me here in the earth for a purpose, for a reason. Uh, I want to be everything I was born to be. I know that naturally I must have some form of identity. This is why I have an identity document. It must say Zipokabash and must say all these other things. But that is done so that we can be able to operate in the earth realm as if that is who we were brought here to be and to do. No, that is for us to, to be able to, to operate in the earth realm and fulfill the divine mandate for which we were brought here. So I pray, family, that you, you, you are blessed tonight. Let's uh, continue next week. In the name of Jesus, before we go, just pray with me. Just lift up your hands wherever you are, Father. In the name of Jesus. Tonight, we want to acknowledge the fact that you love tribes. You, you love nationalities. You love diversity. You love uh, kindred. And you love every race that's under the sun. Uh, tonight, we also want to acknowledge uh, the fact that you created us, we, you placed us on the continent of Africa for a purpose and for a reason. Uh, we, you placed us in certain uh, uh, contexts, in, in, in tribes and clans, for us to be able to fulfill a divine mandate. 
And so tonight, as I sit here as a Zulu man, I have come to accept the fact that I was brought here for something bigger than my nationality. I was brought here for something bigger than my ethnicity. I was brought here to be a blessing to my generation. And whatever I would need to lay on the altar, whatever I would have to consider as insignificant and immaterial so that you can receive your reward, so that you can receive the nations that you want because of the blood that you shed. I am willing, O oh God, to lay on the altar and our people as they are connecting tonight. We are willing to open our hearts and to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We choose to define ourselves on the basis of your word. We want to have a kingdom worldview, a Bible worldview. So Father, bless your people. I plead your blood upon your people in Jesus' name. I thank you for the divorces that are going to come in the spirit. I thank you for the disconnection. I thank you, glorious God, for severing of ties and contracts and covenants yes. in the name of Jesus as you allow us to cross the border from the old to the new. I thank you for this revelation that you are causing most of us, Father, to see from a, a, a heavenly and divine perspective, divine optics in Jesus' name, to look at life differently than we did before. So bless your people in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen, family. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We see you. We see you next week, family. Amen. Thank you. Good from Saudi Arabia, Mamgubane, oh everybody, Mieni family, Amase, Ayanda, Boroto, Ayanda Webster, the Websters, Bongenkosinjela. Bless you, my brother. Bongisbisi. And I see Galaxy, I can't Galaxy, see the name. Kosi <laughs> Zulu, Memoria, bless you, Memoria, such a Monde blessing. Mondekia, Mamuai, Amen. Euneli, Mpume, dearest, and the yeah, rest the of rest the people, of and everybody else you can see here. Thank you so much, family. Let's connect again next week. Amen. Good night. Good night. Amen. Okay. Okay, we need to keep, you know, the fire.